Welcome back. Welcome in Friday morning here at earsports.com. I am Mike Sazza. Welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, it has been miserable here with the weather all week. I'm wondering if that stems from any of the clouds in Lubbock last Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, pretty abysmal, rainy, disgusting, cold, a little bit chill, or not too cold, but you know, it was felt like it was 80 degrees last Saturday, and it's been kind of kind of miserable ever since. So I think you're right. I think it kind of came with that game, stuck around. It's supposed to be nicer tomorrow, mid 50s, no chance of rain, which is fine. Um, I just feel like gray and 40 degrees is your typical West Virginia, Kansas State weather in a Big 12 game. Well, that's depressing, Mike. Is that what? <laughs> well, figuratively I, I, and literally, I guess. But I just feel like there's always like that type of weather, whether it's in Manhattan or Morgantown. Yeah, well, uh, once we get into the in, into the late fall, which uh, these teams is when these teams usually play, uh, you know, that's that's the weather in Morgantown, that's the weather in Manhattan, and and then you got to watch these two teams battle it out, usually in a close game, but not typically that pretty of a game. So, uh, yeah, I no. guess it all fits. Four game winning streak for West Virginia followed in the series a four game winning streak for Kansas. It was a little bit longer because of some ancient matchups in the series but in big 12 like Kansas state won four in a row west virginia got the old uh the snyder off its back in 2016 and mm-hmm. has won the past four this one two second year coaches that may or may not be here for a long time depending on how fast their star rises how hot the star burns but looks like they at least definitely Kansas state got a keeper because he's done about the smoothest transition I think you can have for a place that's as unique as Kansas State is. Not to say Neil Brown has done a bad job, but even he enumerated this week that um, Boyd Kleiman did excellent work integrating his style, his culture, into what existed at Kansas State. And the Kansas State thumbprint is going to be – it's going to loom larger than whatever you do. So you really have to acquiesce. It's like he's done that. Brown says, hey, had a harder time than I thought. You know, I thought we'd be further along culturally than we are right now. Um I think we all agree that year two is not bad, but it's also not as good as he wanted it to be, which leads me to this. We've had these measuring stick games so far. Oklahoma State was a measuring stick game. Um, Hammer Kansas if you can, because they're not very good. If you're good, you're going to hammer them. And ultimately, that did happen. 38-17, to it's really 38-10 because they got a special teams touchdown, but kind of happened. And then can you win on the road? Can you have a mature performance? Can you clean things up? The answer was no. So we've had these moments here this season, and West Virginia's one for two. Excuse me, one for three, one and two in those three games. I think tomorrow's a measuring stick game for some reason. They're both second-year coaches. Um, Their situations this year are not dissimilar. Kansas State's had a ton of trouble with injuries and COVID, and still here we are, four straight wins in a row. But West Virginia's at home, favored, and it's not broken, but it needs some fixes Am I right? This is some sort of another measuring stick game. And because I am right, <laughs> what type of measuring stick is it? I think it's going to test the resiliency of this team. Uh, I actually felt like they they bounced back well against Baylor. It wasn't pretty. Obviously, offense really struggled in that game. But after you know suffering that loss at Oklahoma State, not that I I, I don't think you know, many people mark that as a win going into the season or even going into that game, but it, it felt like they could have, and it felt like they maybe should have, except for just 
some really bad errors on their own part and a couple like two big plays or three big plays basically changed that entire game. And that can be uh, demoralizing, but they came back with as much energy as I've seen from them this season in that Baylor game. So I'm interested to see if they can do that again, because again, they go on the road again, they shoot themselves in a foot. And again, it's like two or three plays that change the entire game. And now they come back home with another tough matchup and, um, I guess we'll see how they can respond. A couple of things I, I, I want to note from the week that was. We've talked a lot about drops again. And ball security, it's just, just an issue it is. I don't know why there's any debate about it. We do ask about it a lot. Coaches probably don't want that. Brown had an interesting comment, and he cited his running backs coach, Chad Scott, on this. And I believe it was in response to your question that um, it was like he was a, one of the average Joe dodgeball players from dodgeball and he ducked and dived and dodged <laughs> and um, about, you know, Hey, was it, was it, was it six drops? Was it three drops? What was it? But he said, Hey, we don't really do drops. We do catch percentage, which I guess is a, which I get, it's a good idea because Brown's very positive. And if you're talking about, I dropped two out of 10 passes. Well, yeah, that's bad. But on Brown's scale, you caught 80% of them yeah. and they want to get 90% of the catches, which is cool. I get that. And I think he did that because what he said next. And I think that's why they frame it this way. Hey, catch 90% or more and you're good. Still means you drop one, but that obscures the fact that you caught nine. So I think he's more about the positive. And he said that Chad Scott has a saying that you're only remembered for your bad performances. I think that's nonsense. But I get that's where he's going. He's trying to keep this positive. The fact is, everybody loves you when you're really good. Of course, when you stink, they remember that too. But to say that you forget the good moments... um, I think is misleading here too, but I'm wondering what sort of crisis of confidence or how much are they bothered because they're bothered by drops right now? Do you think it's a thing because it's a thing or do you think it's something that they're working on and they're just taking all in stride? I, one, I agree with you that it, it, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's nonsense, but yeah, they, that they only remember you on your bad days. No, they remember you on your great days too. Uh, I think, you know, maybe they forget you in the everything in between on your average days, but you're either great or you're terrible. Either way, they'll remember you. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they're trying to, what's it like trying to run cover for them, trying to divert attention from it, uh, trying not to discuss it as much as people want to ask about it because it is, some of this is mental. Like some of the, the drop situation is mental when it spreads from one player when it's happened to one player and it can be, you know, that's their problem. And then maybe it even is a little bit mental with just that person. But when it spreads to an entire uh, position group, like I said, I, I think I counted six. Neil Brown said he had five or six. ESPN had seven. But out of the six that I counted, I think it was spread among at least five different receivers, maybe even six. So you're looking at something mentally, something that, that everybody in that group is thinking about and talking, or maybe not talking about, but thinking about, certainly. And you're trying to find a positive way out of it, discuss it a different way, and move on to try to get that out of their heads. So I understand why they're saying what they're saying and why they're doing what they're doing here. Case in point, who was their best offensive player last game? Well, I'm going to say Daggy, but... Okay, second best offensive player. Who was his favorite target? Uh, was it Winston Wright? Yeah, and who had a brutal drop that made them punt the ball back to Texas Tech in the fourth quarter where they never really got the ball back with a chance to do anything. 
Right. Winston, Winston right. right. Yeah. We're not talking about that because obviously James trumped him with his fumble on the strip six, but also Winston Wright had a great game. We're remembering the great game. So I guess it has to do with reputation. Sam James and Bryce Forbidden are going to get a heavier dose of blame than Winston Wright is. But Wright's also producing better than them, so he's earned that as well. I get that. But the fact is that it does need to be cleaned up, especially against Kansas State. Point two, bandits are highly productive. I can you want me to, you want to put me on air on this one, Mike? <laughs> you want me to discuss that? I, I want to point this out too. It's what they were asked. It's not what they were said. Correct. Um, You've been these, saying these, this about a lot of things for a while, and I think you're 100 percent correct. Someone asked a question about, and I honestly I don't know who it was, and I'm not trying to be demeaning or defamatory here, but like they mentioned on the game broadcast that I guess other coaches have pointed out that Bartlett plays really well. I think even Matt Wells has said that on the conference call on Monday. So I'm assuming part of the, the broadcast meeting with ESPN and the coaches, they brought that up again. Hey, 50 plays really well. He gets out there. Presumably they meant Bartlett and not Brandon Yates, but I'm going to assume they meant Bartlett. And so he makes a couple little splashy plays. He, he's flashing. He's not you know getting anybody to the ground, but he's pressuring. He's that fourth hat in the pass rush. And they say, hey, that's my guy. Told you. And right away they're establishing something that we were told that we said early is coming to fruition. Did Bartlett have a great game? Probably not. But right away, you see that, that this is kind of a thing they want to have happen because they, they got some intel. And then that becomes a question during the game. Hey, you don't have Callen, but maybe you're okay. And the question was, you know, you're getting some good productivity out of them. Fallacy. Yeah. I, I these, these are numbers from Pro Football Focus and Bartlett and Tonkery have combined for 253 snaps on the year. They're, they're the two that are taking, you know, um, I think basically hundred percent of the snaps since Callen went down. I don't think they've really uh, tried anybody else there since then. They have more missed tackles than they do solo tackles during <laughs> this season. That's amazing. Um, I think Tonkery is a, of that 253, I think he's got 114, 140, somewhere in that range. He's got about half of them. He has one assisted tackle on the year. Not one solo, one assisted tackle on the entire season. Um, I, it, It's hard. This is supposed to be when they first arrived. And now, granted, maybe I don't think it's that different. I mean, we've seen this defense, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I don't think it's that different than what uh, Vic Koning originally put in and the scheme that he originally established. I think it's you know it was a little late in the game to really deviate from that. But... It was explained early on that that the bandit was like the key position. This was the havoc wreaker. This was the wrecking ball. Yeah, this was the guy that's supposed to set the tone for the entire defense. And it it's done nothing. Like I mean, Bartlett's made a couple big plays. Let's. I don't want to take anything away from him there, but it's. I feel like when you got Bartlett out there, and and this is not really a knock on Bartlett because he's he is a redshirt freshman for crying out loud. Like. And he's playing a new position. He's not a new position since he's got a college, but he didn't play his position like this in high school. And he is, um, I think he's got three sacks. So he's kind of like, he's either making a great play or he's so far, he's out of control a little bit is what I'm saying here. He's, He's so far out of, he puts himself so far out of the play that it becomes a negative for the defense. And he swings back and forth. So it's either he makes a great play or makes a terrible play and not much in between. And which as we've seen, can be troublesome because we've seen a couple of these big plays that are are, are broken 
by the opposing offense because linebackers are having terrible gap fits or misfits, as, as Neil Brown calls them. It, it exists within Bartlett. It's, it's visibly obvious that he has it. Just that yeah. you, need, you need the reps, too. fact is, Cowan's played fewer than 100 snaps in his career. He's been noisy sometimes, though. Three sacks, um, I want to say twice as many TFLs. Again, that's not a great percentage, but figure he's still getting his legs a lot for those 100 snaps, too. And I, I think he he had something going this year, and unfortunately he gets hurt. Don't know if we'll see him back. have no idea what's up with Bryce Brand, um, except that it sounds like that maybe he wasn't quite ready in game shape. The guy dressed for a game he wasn't eligible to play in, which is quirky. You can do it at home. It probably just gets him accustomed to being in uniform. Remember they did this with Jared Dagey. They, they put him in uniform and traveled him, even though they had no intention of playing him before the final four games last season. It was just like one of those things. Hey, get him used to being part of the team. I get that. Doesn't travel brand to Texas tech. They used all 70. So I get that. And they're not, they're just not using a lot of people on defense and um, maybe they could have helped him reason, but I think that's a guy that if they get him in is going to make a difference. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes your number two there right away. They've been high on him. And I think as long as he's in shape, if he's in game shape, Game shape is different than practice shape. I get that, but he should be he should be relatively close if he's not there yet. So that's a big one. Uh, last one, and this this will, we can use this to jump right in. You don't like Texas Tech week because of the very obvious storylines. <laughs> yeah, I don't dislike Kansas State week because I appreciate the theme, and the theme is Kansas State has this like mythology about them: punt returns, kickoff returns, special teams, defense. Don't beat yourself. Be very solid. I feel like that's worth six points a week when you play them because you're bound to bow to that if you're not careful. Um, last season, West Virginia, there's a difference between believing the hype and feeding the hype. Last season, West Virginia believed the hype. Don't forget, Neil Brown interviewed to be the head coach there. And I can't listen to Neil Brown talk, especially this week, and think that he wouldn't love to be the head coach at Kansas State. Quite happy here. He took this job. I get it. But I have a feeling that everything he stands for and his complimentary football and his focus on the little things, no margins and special teams, he'd be quite happy in purple. I think he's happy in gold and blue, don't get me wrong, but I think that he just admires the way they play. He believes the hype. He did not feed into it last year. I'm not going to get into this now because it's going to be part of my, my game preview and the, the fresh set, but West Virginia last year just didn't contribute to the Kansas State mythology. If you do you're screwed because they're going to they're gonna get some points and some possessions on you. They're going to make you work. West Virginia didn't do it last year. To me, that's a huge key. You can't play their game. You can't let them play their game because a lot of their game is you coming back to them or you fading away from them. Like They're going to stay in their lane and do it. And if you give up the lead or if you fall behind, they don't care. They're going to keep going on at the same pace with the same attack. I think if you can, again, don't feed the hype. It's okay to respect it and believe it, but don't feed it. My question is, can West Virginia – Look at the sign that says "Don't feed the Wildcats," and resist the temptation that they obviously have to feed the Wildcats. It's tough because there are certain teams that kind of get this like a reputation stigma. Either way, uh, either way you want to look at it, positive or negative, and it sticks with them even if maybe it's no longer true. And Kansas State's not that way. It's it's crazy like the special team stuff and the hard work and then you look at it and there they go with uh brooks in the last game against kansas state uh you know they're all american punt returner and kick returner josh youngblood surprisingly enters the transfer portal they throw out this kid that has never returned punts and he returns two for a touchdown another long one and then sets the record at kansas state 
for most punt return yards in a game, which is insane. And then, you know, I, we mentioned when we were discussing before we started this podcast about what kind of review we had done on Kansas state and kind of mentioned, like, are we skipping over Kansas? Uh, like, I don't know if that's even worth watching the, for Kansas state. I kind of went back to the Texas tech game to see what they were doing there. And they had a blocked punt in that game, uh, a good return in that one. Like it's, they've earned that reputation and they've kind of kept it. So it's kind of hard to ignore it. Um, but as you mentioned, they, West Virginia did a good job not feeding into it last year and, and they're going to have to fight it off again this year. So here's, here's the problem. Brooks, again, just the past two weeks, he's become a punt return. I think he had maybe one or two in, in scrub time early in the season, but he, he's dangerous when he returns one on you for a touchdown. He's a little bit more dangerous when he almost breaks one. Kansas gets the ball late in the first half. And my God, Chris, I, I have to I have to get over this, but like I'm watching coaches everywhere screw up the final 120, 60 seconds of a half, but it happens here. They get the ball back, pass, run, incomplete. No, excuse me, pass, run, run. I'm looking at the, the sequence here. But anyways, with like 30 seconds left, the third down snap comes. They get it and just, hey, get off the field. What are you doing? And Kansas State doesn't call a timeout right away. Kansas State waits till there's eight seconds left. That's really smart. Um, because with eight seconds, you can't just drop back and run around. You can't run a play because if you turn over, they're going to get the ball in good position. So Kansas State, I thought initially, I was thinking, oh, my God, they're going to let their time run down. Just call a timeout. Well, they did. And they gave themselves what's in effect, one extra offensive play. See if they'll kick it to Brooks and see if something can happen. You know, who knows? But you're only going to get the one play. So guess what? Kansas has to snap it and has to kick it. You can't do the old Rich Rodriguez against Rutgers thing where Shiano called timeout with one second left and a half, and they threw a bomb to Chris Henry, and Chris Henry just outran the defense and scored. So eight seconds, you can't do it because you're not going to get eight seconds to pass. You're going to have to do something to kill eight seconds. Kansas can't do that. They're not that coordinated, so they got to punt. Punt the ball out of bounds. Take a knee. Do something. Don't kick it to Brooks. And they did, and guess what? He scores a touchdown. That's what I'm talking about. It's okay to believe it and to respect their hype. If, if their special teams are good and their returner is good, that's fine. If you got to punt it, you got to punt it. Don't feed into it. Don't give it to them. Kick out of bounds. Uh, rugby it. Roll it. Do something. But you can't, you can't do what they want you to do. That's another axiom of football all the time. Don't do what the other team wants you to do. And they did. And <laughs> it, it ended up being a bad thing. It went from 27 to 7, which is respectable at the half, considering they had uh, a pick six and a punt return to 34 to seven and a half with 21 points coming on returns. They have four non-offensive touchdowns the past two games. They're, they're back up to their old tricks and, and to worry about West Virginia, the turnover troubles, the interceptions and fumbles. Special teams are better. They get a bad rap because of some pretty visible mistakes, but they, they haven't been bad for the majority of it. The trouble is they have a bad turnover. Their kicking game has been in. They give the punt, the kickoff return against Puka Williams, who I guess just kept running after he scored the touchdown and went all the way back home to Louisiana. Uh, that's how open that was. But that was, uh, I think, 9, 10, maybe 11 new guys on the kickoff team. I guess 10 with the kickers there. But the potential exists to give them stuff if you want to give it to them. Does West Virginia want to? Yeah, I'm sure they do. They want to make mistakes, but can they hold themselves in? That's that's a huge part of this. It's so obvious. The good news for West Virginia, Mike, is that Les Miles is not on the sideline for WVU. I think that's that's a positive. I, not that not that um, and, and no offense, Neil. I know you're listening, but uh, not that West Virginia has been exceptionally uh, well versed in end of half situations. 
but it's not less miles. So it shouldn't be any concern. More good news. We'll jump into matchups here. We'll go West Virginia offense, Kansas State defense. But A.J. Parker, they're excellent cornerback. He's actually played the nickel slot corner all season. But he's he's an all-conference level player. He's had ankle injuries, flared up again against Kansas. They uh they cooled him off in that game. It was out of control, so they didn't have to play him a whole lot. But he's day-to-day, which Kansas means probably out for the season. If you're Kansas State means you're out for the season, they're notoriously shifty about injuries. Um, that's another thing that climate has seamlessly transitioned from the Bill Snyder era to his. But uh, if he doesn't play, you're without a major, major piece of defense. And again, he's your slot nickel guy. For, for multiple reasons, that's a huge matchup there. Winston Wright, TJ Simmons, Reese Smith, those guys, their day probably becomes a little bit better. Unless, of course, Kansas State has someone who's as good or better, probably a walk-on from, you know, Topeka or something like that who just happens to be available. But without Parker, the different and the offensive potential is a little bit greater. Yeah, the um, – hmm, the – Again, Parker there in the slot receiver, like you mentioned, kind of, I don't want to say it's too similar to what Tyke Smith plays, but as far as where they line up on the field in the defense, that's kind of where it is. And behind him is Will Jones, redshirt freshman. Not great, actually, either of them, really, about uh, 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 tackling. I mean, I mean, Parker, we have a history with Parker of seeing him out there, so we know what he's capable of. Uh, Pro football grades, so far this year, pro football focus grades this year, not quite as good as one would think with Parker. But um, you're right. He, he is a guy that we would consider for all conference. He's somebody I considered for preseason, all Big 12 team. I can't remember if I actually put him in my, my top five DBs, but he was definitely in consideration. Um, but that's an interesting matchup because of uh, of the guy you mentioned earlier, Winston Wright. How can, that, how can that line up? How can he do there? He is currently... Number one in the Big 12, right, this is. Number one in the Big 12 conference for a slot receiver in yards per route run. Um, And then he has 204 yards after the catch, which I think is going to be a little more relevant to what uh, the matchup's going to be because A.J. Parker and Will Jones, they're they're decent in coverage. Uh, Parker is above average, actually, somewhat a a little bit more than above average, uh, but... Tackling-wise, Parker's terrible. 41.6 grade from Pro Football Focus. Jones is pretty bad, 51.6. Again, 65 is is quote-unquote average or slightly above. So they are not great. Winston Wright is slippery. um, And I think once he gets moving, if you can catch him in stride, he's going to make those guys pay. So that's an interesting matchup to watch regardless of who's there. This feels like a middle-of-the-field game. I know that we we bag on the West Virginia receivers a bunch, but it looks like we're going to get T.J. Simmons back. They said he's uh, back and available this week. Sam James is playing the slot now. They mentioned that you're going to see him inside more often than not the rest of the way. I think Reese Smith has earned playing time. Winston Wright's obviously going places. Um, and then if you move James inside, I'm not sure that you're turning the question mark outside into an exclamation point because we saw Sean Ryan had troubles. Bryce Wheaton's been... He's been about Bryce Wheaton. He's not great, and he's capable of good, but he's also capable of not good. So if you take good, if you get good from him, you take it. Um, the other outside guys, I don't know. Sam Brown hasn't caught a ball since week one, correct? And then Ollie Jennings, I think, is solid and, and somewhat reliable, but probably not in great quantity right now. So those four guys are going to get probably close to 50% of the snaps. I would imagine Ford Wheaton goes a little bit above, but this seems like an inside game. 
um, because of some matchups and another Kansas State thing here. You think sound defense, they're not going to goof up. Shoot, they their tackling is what's the word, Chris? I don't know. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, you're you're the capital J journalist. What's, I don't. I'm not a thesaurus over here. Uh, Shoddy. It's just shoddy, abysmal, terrible. I don't know. It's 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 bad. It's not something you think about. Um, I think this is going to be. I put this as number two on my three key matchups. I don't put those in any particular order. They just kind of. I put them in the order that I, I come across the stats and information on, and this. But this is the most important one for me. Um, it, it's kind of Letty Brown versus the interior of that box for Kansas State because Kansas State. Again, we think Kansas State, you think solid defense. Um, scoring defense, they're okay. But rush defense and pass defense, total defense, all those numbers, they're actually quite bad. They're t- towards the bottom of the Big 12 Conference. I believe they're either 7th or 8th in all three of those categories I just mentioned. They're a little higher in scoring, either, I think, 4th. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with turnover margin. Um, you know, they were plus 4 against Oklahoma, plus 2 against Arkansas State. They've been they've been 0 or positive in every single game. They rank in the top 20 in turnover margin um, on the season. So they, they, that's how they're doing on defense. That's how they're getting the job done. But in the middle, just terrible uh, with tackling, with stopping, uh, stopping running backs. If you run opposing teams, everybody, but Kansas. And, and I feel, I'm starting to feel bad for dogging Kansas as much as I am, but it's once you start including Kansas in your stats and things you're looking at, it kind of just, derails everything it, it just i just don't feel like it, it it's an outlier that i shouldn't include so all four games except kansas kansas state is a holding running backs that are running outside of tackle to four yards per carry that's kind of average four yards per carry i mean most teams would take that but in between the tackles opposing running backs are averaging 6.3 yards per carry and that just happens to be where Letty Brown shines. He is seven and a half yards per carry between the tackles and three and a half yards outside of the tackles. So I think West Virginia can kind of attack that middle run game, particularly with Brown. Sinkfield's numbers aren't quite as good. Um, but it, it stems from them just not being able to tackle. Kansas State runs that four, two, five type defense with two defensive tackles and, and two linebackers. And typically, the linebackers stay in the box. I believe I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it was something like 75% of the snaps. They're in the box. Um, mm-hmm. They're not moving. You told me before that they don't, they don't blitz much, those same linebackers. So they're there. They're just kind of waiting and hanging for some kind of tackle. And they're doing a terrible job of it. Terrible. Um, I, I, if you can, if Letty Brown can get there and he can make guys miss the way he's been making guys miss these first couple of weeks, he could go for 150, 200 yards again. Wow. That was me dropping my pencil. <laughs> yeah, I think he's expected to do that. And again, Sinkfield, I, I want to say Sinkfield's better inside than he is outside. I know that he's not has been great lately, but, and again, he has to be able to get some room to breathe right away. I think a lot of his trouble is that he gets swallowed whole sometimes when he gets the handoff. But um, one thing they're talking with him about is, Hey, you're good on your first move. Like your first move is your best move. So do that. Quit dancing. Quit trying to stretch it. Hit it and go. And if you do that, where's your first move? It's inside. See it and hit it. That's what they want him to do. Um, yeah. They uh, listen. This is what Jared Parker said this week too. It reminded him of a Big Ten defense where you get lined up and you don't shift, you don't change from snap to snap, but you're gonna play your game. Here we go again. 
and over and over and over, and you're good at it. And but here's the thing: they know where to find you, and that's good if you're an offense. If you know where the defense is going to be every time, that's good. That's why you roll the quarterback out. That's why you do play action. Um, that's you just do different things because you don't want to give the linebackers, the defensive ends, the same target. They're just going to get the path down. They're going to get the routine down. Pass rush, pressure, sacks, whatever. If you move the pocket, that's a little bit different. They don't move their pocket on defense. It's a four-two-five, and it doesn't ever really <laughs> deviate, right? Yeah. Um, and again, those linebackers don't move. So again, they blitzed. They've rushed thirty-seven times this year. Their linebackers total have blitzed thirty-seven times. That's not a lot in five games, okay? And they've been behind in some of them. Had to hustle and had to get it back. So you figured they'd be a little bit more expeditious in their attack. Hasn't been that way. You know where they're going to be, which means if you can get to that second level, if you can run inside zone, if you can do power plays, whatever. Get one of those linebackers out of the way. Get your hands, your hat on both those linebackers. You got a chance to make something happen. Teams have done that. Uh, that's great, I think, for them too. It's a key matchup, but also make them cover. You know, play play your throw your um your tight ends out. You're starting to do that now. Load one side with um you know a tight end and a slot receiver. Put three receivers on one side. Bring one of those guys in the coverage. Put him in conflict. Can he chase you? Can he tackle you? Will you get him out of the box? Because if you do pull him out of the box, guess what? That other guy's not moving. You know where he's going to be. Run it. Uh, they can have fun with numbers here. It's a bit of a shell game, but I think if if, if Kansas State's going to paint that picture on defense and those those little images don't change, you kind of know what to expect. You should be effective on offense. Oh, that's man should be effective on offense. Well, way to jinx it, Mike. That that'll really set it up. Um, effective, not explosive. Effective. <laughs> it, is this where I'm supposed? I think uh, this is the weekly bit where I start talking about Bryce Ford Wheaton in a deep pass. Is this where I'm supposed to jump in with this part? Sponsored by. <laughs> I'm no, not doing yeah, it. I mean, it's not part of my okay. key matchups. I don't. I don't have the stats. Nothing stood out to me about that. Um, I've learned my lesson. Uh, like, uh, like you said last week, where um, you're talking about people trying to make make something that might not be there. That might be that might be the something that I was trying to make, and it, it just might not be there. Yeah. Uh, last one on defense for Kansas State before we flip the script here. What do you do with Wyatt Hubert? Um, so find a running back that can help pass protect because as good as Letty Brown and Alex Singfield have been this year, they are terrible in pass protection. And I'm not certain that, uh, you know, a single lineman, regardless of who it is, would be able to hold Hubert at bay. He, he flips on both sides, 75 snaps on the left, 96 on the right. Uh, they have a compliment. When he goes to the left, they have a guy who can play the right. Uh, Bronson Macy, when Hubert goes to the right, Khalid Duke plays the left. Khalid, Khalid, I'm not sure. Um, they have a plan. So it's it's based on using Hubert, and he's good on either side. He's been involved with four sacks, three on one side, one on the other. But the pressures are about even, about the same percentage from either side. He's good. He's preseason kind of defensive player of the year caliber. Maybe he hasn't been up there yet, but he gets your attention on Tuesday morning, and, and he's going to have your attention on Saturday. Tackle's got to hold up. Maybe a tight end has to help out. Uh, wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of uh, Lachlan or TJ Banks on him. And you're right, running backs got a chip there too. Uh, let's go West Virginia offense. Excuse me, West Virginia defense, Kansas State offense. Two true freshmen, which you wouldn't believe if you watch them. Spawn, but uh, Will Howard, Deuce Vaughn, tight ends, a receiver, and, and really working with a makeshift offensive line. Trouble here is that their offense hasn't been great in scoring points. They've been getting help from other areas, but. Man, they got in a roll in that third quarter against Kansas, and that kind of scares you a little bit. They were looking for confidence. Kansas, I get it, but guess what? It happened. Howard was 10 for 10 for 131 yards in that quarter. 
21 points, three long touchdown, or excuse me, three seven play touchdown drives. So it was quick, it was efficient. And you wonder how much of that, how much that means moving forward. Are you alarmed at all by that, or is it just Kansas and listen, Kansas will get you right? Yeah, that's, as I say, nothing. No. Uh, TCU, uh, they didn't get any real breaks from their uh, special teams in that one, and they could only score two touchdowns and a couple of field goals. Uh, against Texas Tech, they got a block punt. They got a couple short fields after turnovers, and they still only ended up with 31 points. Uh, Oklahoma, they forced four turnovers. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they scored 38 points, which is nice, but with four turnovers, that's a lot. And then Arkansas State, again, uh, they were plus two in the turnover battle and and still just managed 31 points. So outside of Kansas, outside of Kansas, and even with all the support from special teams and um, turnovers, it's an average offense, like at best. So I think – <clears throat> you know, you, you got to put your focus on the playmakers and the playmakers you already mentioned him is Deuce Vaughn. Oh he, is, he is something special. You know, everybody wants to, especially um, when they're smaller, try to, you know, make them out to be something they're not. And, and he is, he's a talent. He really is. He can make guys miss. And, but here's the thing, his, his play and a lot of what he does, you know, it's all, oh, he's so he can catch this you can do that but a lot of it is the same it is he he catches the ball in the same spots he runs in the same spots so if you can scheme to try to stop those spots yeah he's a special talent so you have to actually make the stops but you can be in the right spot in order to try to make those stops um one of the things is you know he's he's a he's a decent uh, he's a very good pass catcher and he's great getting the yards after the catch but almost everything's right in the middle he doesn't flare out to the side he doesn't kind of, you know, fake like pass pro and roll out into the flats. He doesn't do a wheel route. He doesn't do any of that. It's all little screen passes right in the middle. He's always, you know, um, the, the the release valve in case there's nobody else open. It's all right there in the middle, all within 10 yards or behind the line of scrimmage. So a lot of that burden when I'm looking at this, it's going to it's going to vary from person to person, obviously, when you're talking about running backs, because because. Coverage coverages will change, but over the course of the year, much of that burden of defending a running back and a running back that that fades out into the slot, which he does, not counting Kansas game again. So sorry, Kansas, not counting Kansas. Uh, but the two games before that, he was going in the slot one out of every four snaps. Yeah. So he 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 moves around a little bit, and the guy that covers the slot and the running back more often than anybody else. Tyke Smith, which is great news for West Virginia. You know, if if the other opposing team's best player and maybe like their real only true threat on offense is going to be defended by Tyke Smith, that that I I think that's a a, a positive for the Mountaineers. I will uh, I will dispute one thing that you said. Oh no, no, you're not allowed the, to do the, that. Uh, they. They find a way to get him on a linebacker a bunch, and that's when he scores or he oh, makes no. big plays. Um, and what they've done is they've put one of the tight ends on one side and the other one on the slot, or they've done something where, listen, you got to pick. Am I going to put Tyke Smith on Vaughn, or am I going to put Tyke Smith on Briley Moore? Or am I going to put Josh Chandler on Vaughn, or, or am I going to put Josh Chandler on Briley Moore? That's a big tight end. And they're going to they're gonna use that to their advantage. They're going to pick the other one. I, I, my concern would be if Vaughn gets lined up against Chandler. 
because he's going to run at him, and it looks like they just do option routes. And a lot of his stuff, listen, if you're going to you're going to take away the outside probably against Vaughn. You don't want him getting free and going up the sideline because he can. So you're going to try to spin him back into the middle. You're going to take outside leverage. You're going to push him inside because he's got more help there. He runs away from you when he gets that. And if he's running at you, he's going to put a move on you. He's put defenders on the ground in the open field a couple of times this year where it's pretty good. Um, they, they're they just good at putting him in different spots. They start him outside, they motion him back in, and they put him back out again, which if you're a linebacker and you're lining up against Vaughn in the slot and he motions back into the backfield, oh, okay, great. Thought that was going to be scary. Oh, my gosh, here he comes back outside again. you got to run with him. That's not fun. They motion him like jet sweep stuff and they'll throw it to him. They could do the hot potato thing with him. He's, he's like a high volume player. They're finding out ways to use him there, but you're right. A lot of the stuff is going to be getting him the ball on the run outside, which is smart because in space, he's trouble too. Uh, I made the comp yesterday and I like myself and hate myself for this too, but there's a ton of Darren Sproles in him. Yeah. I, I, you know what it, I was trying to say it, everybody, when they're smaller backs, everybody wants to try to make, you know, something he's not. And I was trying to think of the daggone name. But, yeah, Darren Sproles, that's what everybody wants to say about a smaller back. This might one actually might be true. Like, this like, might be the one. And the same thing is, like, they were running toss sweeps back in the, you know, at that point to get him the ball outside. This time they're throwing, like, flick passes outside. You know, he runs a lot of the speed option stuff that Sproles ran. You know, Sproles, they, they depend on the quarterback's hip. And when the defense come into the, the quarterback – pitch it outside he's wide open in space they're doing that here um they have a play that's diabolical where they'll they'll go into like that diamond formation except mm-hmm. he's not the deep back he's the the one of the short backs and either the right or the left and they hand him the ball and it's going the other way and he's got a guy in front of him blocking and then the guy who's deep in the backfield is getting outside and getting another defender and again you're outside with him you got him in space and they're finding ways to him. that's that's an evil play that is highly successful for them and west virginia's got to come downhill and, and find a way to outflank that too um, they're, they just have clever ways to involve him. I don't want to get too much into it. He's fun to watch. He's fast. He's good in the open field. He shakes tackles. And if you give him enough touches, he's going to make something happen, too. Uh, again, only guy in the country at 300 yards rushing and receiving. Only big 12 player to lead his team in either category. And he's earned it so far, too. And he's, he's done it pretty consistently. He's had, you know, a 100-yard rushing game, 100-yard receiving game. He's beaten up Texas Tech. He's beaten up Oklahoma. So West Virginia's defense is better. The personnel may match up, but... They, they find a way to use them there, too. The other freshman is Howard, again, mentioned 10 for 10 in that third quarter, has been probably just average outside of that. But he made some big-time throws that kind of got West Virginia's attention. Like, the, wait a minute, this guy's comfortable. He's confident. I wonder if the light went on for him because, again, he was he was extra extra efficient in that third quarter. But here we go, 6'5", 230, and is figuring it out. Trouble is, he does not have all the questions answered yet, and then I'm sure that Jordan Leslie, Jamal Dye are going to ask different ones from him. Um, it seems like you can't let Vaughn beat you, so you put the ball in Howard's hands to see if he can do it without great skill talent around him. They don't have game breakers. They don't have Lockett or anybody like that out there. They have they have guys who can catch the ball, but no one who really scares you, I don't think. Do you, do you have to make Howard go like 22 of 28 against you, like a Henry Columbia? Mike, as someone who's been covering WV football for almost a decade now, I am fully expecting some random backup quarterback to have a 150 passer rating and keep this game tighter win it. I, I have never seen backup quarterbacks, and it's gone across multiple regimes. It's been for multiple teams, multiple seasons. I have never seen opposing quarterbacks, that backup quarterbacks, third, second, third string, emergency quarterbacks have such success against a team like they do against West Virginia. So I wouldn't write anything off 
right now with what Will Howard might be able to do on Saturday. Um, I mean, I think, you know, maybe feel better about this one than most because of what this defense is capable of doing. But I do think he is going to have to be more of a playmaker than maybe he has been so far in order for Kansas State to win this game. I don't think they can have him just managing the game and stick around because I think this Kansas State defense is a little bit susceptible. I think the West Virginia offense, I think I think the West Virginia offense, Jared Dagey's looking better. He looked at his best game last week, I think. So I think the passing game is going to improve. And then the running game that West Virginia has is is a strength that matches up against Kansas State's weakness there in the middle, like I talked about a second ago. So Kansas State is going to have to score points. And I don't think if, if West Virginia is prepared and they can avoid the special teams and the turnovers points, those kind of points, it's going to fall on Howard's shoulders, and he's going to have to do more than he has so far. And and, and that's negative against him. I mean, for crying out loud, he's a freshman, but uh, he's going to have to do something, and I'm not sure what he does well enough to do that. I, I think, again, a, it's tough for me to say that West Virginia was going to be the favorite in this one, like Las Vegas picked, but there's a reason they put it that way, and I think a lot of it falls on Howard's shoulders. What do you think about him as a, as a runner? Because I think that's – is he Colin Klein? He's so big, fast. He's not. He's not Skylar Thompson either. They haven't done a lot. But, man, he loves to run in between the guards. And it seems to me like they just want to have him running toward the line and then flip it out to, to Vaughn or someone like that too. I mean, he has a rushing touchdown in the red zone, but not high volume. Maybe it's because they don't want to get him hit and hurt because they don't have another quarterback right now too. But I do think he can hurt you with his legs a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not bad. It, it is weird to me that he runs as much as he does. Again, I can't remember how big Colin Klein was, but but this kid's, I think he's like he's like 6'4", 6'5", 220, 230 pounds. Like, he's not, he's not skinny either. Like, he is thick. Um, so it, I'm curious to see what they do with him, how much they employ that running. Uh, like I said, you don't want to get him hurt, but... At some point, you have to you you can't completely alter the game plan and, and hurt yourself by not having him out there doing what he does best. Yeah, six five two thirty, and guess what? He likes the middle of the field. Uh, Twenty two for thirty on short to intermediate throws. He's about two to one right to left. Not unusual, especially for a young guy. Um, but listen, he he likes to run. He's not scared to run. He is not scared. Period. Um, he has been blitzed twenty times this year. Okay, so. Teams are lining him up and saying, hey, freshman, let's see if we can throw one to us. He's 14 for 18 for 276 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He scrambled just twice. So don't think you're going to make this kid panic and do stuff like that. Uh, you might, but don't go in thinking you can do that. Maybe you chip away a little bit in the damn breaks, but let's see about that. Can West Virginia get home on blitzes? I don't know. The three times he's been sacked, organic pressure, just defensive line working and working and working. So um, he, he's a bit of a mystery, I think. You wonder, is he, is he just the average true freshman that we saw for – you know, the better part of his, his first three games, is he the guy that got hot and competent, went 10 for 10 and was throwing dimes all over against <coughs> Kansas? Yeah, probably a little bit of that, too. So how much of that carries over? We'll see. Um, the targets are, are really interesting here. Sebastian Moore, excuse me, Sebastian Taylor. First, let's see, first game, four catches, 98 yards. Looked like that he and Thompson had something going. The next three games, six catches for 71 Last game, four for 68, and again, was a recipient of what could have been a touchdown pass, a really nice post player in the middle, perfect throw, got down to the one, oh well. 
Um, so again, he's a right side guy. Is that I have no idea if it's Nick Troy Fortune or if it's Dre Miller anymore. Um, but it's going to be one of those two guys that has to stick with him when he's on the right side. The one to watch is Bradley Moore, the tight end. Um, about a third of his snaps are coming in the slot. Uh, he's attaching the line a lot. He plays a ton. He's this Northern Iowa transfer who was like all America FCS level. <laughs> of course, Kansas State gets the best tight end transfer out there. And he's been really good, too. Um, and a weapon in the red zone, too. Let's talk about their red zone. Um, 20 for 20, 15 touchdowns. Last season, they were last season they were 50 for 52 with 35 touchdowns. It is the least surprising thing in the world that Kansas State, one, does not have a ton of explosive plays and has a slew of red zone possessions. Uh, in fact, they have five 90-plus yard touchdown drives this year. Um, so it's a Kansas State thing. They get a lot of touchdowns, too. Their tight ends have four catches in the red zone for four touchdowns, and th- these are frequently jailbreaks for the guys running wide open, too. So, hey, guess what, West Virginia fans? Watch the tight end on Saturday because he's going to be involved, especially as you get near the the end zone. This is another reason not to go off on a gambling uh, tangent here, but this is another reason I can't believe that the under has dropped to 46 and a half because Kansas State and West Virginia are excellent, knock on wood, so far this season in the red zone. Like, Mm -hmm. truly excellent. Uh, As you noted, Previously, you know, the only time West Virginia didn't score in the red zone was the when the entire second team was in and they missed a 25-yard field goal against Eastern Kentucky. Other than that, West Virginia is 20 of 20 in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Kansas 17 State is, touchdowns, too. Yeah, seven and 17 touchdowns. Kansas State is 20 of 20 with 15 touchdowns, like you said. Both of those rank uh, the score percentage and the touchdown percentage rank at or near the top in the country. I, th- I think um, it's... If both of those teams can pick it up, it, it's going to be who can actually get a stop in that zone and who can get there. Because, like, like you said, Kansas State's not that explosive. Then again, is West Virginia? No, I uh, know. So, it, it, it maybe it's a methodical game. Maybe it's going under. I don't know. I'm confused on what what, what that over under. But that's that's a lot of touchdowns for teams getting in the red zone. It's very rare that you see teams do that matching up like that. Trouble is, West Virginia does not let teams get in the red zone. They have six red zone possessions, which is the fewest for anybody who's played more than two games. They're yeah. stubborn on defense. They're they're just good. They're they're really good in between like the thirty yard lines, and that's that's been their their person all year. I'm with you. I think this swings on a red zone, a trend, a play, something. Is someone going to make a mistake? Are we going to have a Will Greer three picks against Kansas Day? I don't know. Honestly, if you just kick field goals, that's a big deal. Guess what? That's how West Virginia won the game last year. I know that the Bryce Ford Wheaton 50-yard touchdown gets to play. It does, but Kansas State was 3-for-3 three three in the red zone with two field goals last year, too. That was a huge difference. And I feel like somebody in purple or somebody in blue is going gonna, is gonna to figure out that that's the way to win or lose this game, and you got to be efficient down there, too. Watch out for gotcha plays on offense or defense, um, especially when you get down there. Like Those are things you want to make people think one thing and then react to another and both teams look like they have a pretty good plan um, specific to, you know, inside the 15-yard line where they want to do something different. Because, again, West Virginia has obvious stuff they're doing down there, and you see Kansas State players running wide open or catching a pass wide open, too. Uh, not a coincidence. They spent a lot of time on it, I'm sure, too. Um, to wrap it up, Chris, with America's favorite post-podcast <laughs> tradition. <laughs> well, actually, I got one interesting – one little stat I want – to throw out there where I think, you know, we talked about the red zone third down conversions. Kansas state sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, sorry to be so blunt about it, but they're terrible. Like they're 
I, I, I uh, how many teams is this? I got to figure out how many teams are currently quote unquote playing right now. We're up to 102 teams now that have played a game of teams that have played. They are 92nd in touchdown and third down conversions at 27%. They were one of 11 in that game against Arkansas state. Uh, gotten a little better as they, as they, as they won, but still not good. Um, West Virginia has been pretty good there. Uh, yeah, really good. Um, for number 14 in the country, number 11, number 10 out of teams that have played more than one game. So that's, again, we talk about one team being four and one and one team being three and two and, and, you know, the four and one teams ranked and all this and that. Why is West Virginia favorite? There are stats out there that'll tell you why. And that's one of them. So keep an eye on that one. A reader texts. Oh God. <laughs> I want to join the fun. Oh, where'd you go? I hit the wrong button here. I want to join the fun. Signed up for VIP a few months ago. Really dig the podcast. Um, really dig the podcast. And mostly just want to get mentioned at the end. Love the work. Keep it up. Chris is my favorite. Oh, there we go. Chris there is go. my favorite. Hey, I'm still fuming over the fact that you said I was 6'4". I would like to note that I am 6'5 and a half. Uh, oh, and goodness. And we're going to round up to 6'6", six, six, and it's going to be great. So I'm still fuming over 6-4. That was frustrating for me. Uh, <laughs> all right, my bad. I owe you that inch and a half there. I said uh-huh. like 6-4, I believe. So Okay. Well, he there. still is tall. He still is one of your favorites. He's Chris Anderson. I am Mike Casazza. We have plenty coming up the rest of the day and then pregame tomorrow. Check us out there. Check us out after the game. Um, anything else, Chris? No, we'll have our usual stuff up. I got three key matchups. We got some stuff. Uh, you you got some stuff up with Bob Huggins, um, Neil Brown. Uh, are we trending towards basketball season? Are we going to have to do a, a basketball podcast here soon? We're, we're maybe like 60 bad minutes away from a basketball season, I think. <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. I'll tell you this. Uh, we are entering our third straight week. I'm, I'm working on the content recap right now, a little bit early. We're entering our third straight week where – one of the top stories on the site, most clicked, most viewed, is basketball story. I'm telling you, every, uh, year, every year there comes a point. There's a refl- uh, there's a turning point, and I think we're reaching it. Got good Kedrian Johnson story coming up. Um, probably a good Jalen Bridges story coming up, too. We actually talked to some players who are freshmen or newcomers and stuff like that. So uh, What a novel concept. You expand the scope of your roster to the public and people pay attention. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not, a, not a really tricky concept. So, hey, we'll roll that stuff out in the next couple of days. We're focused on football until then. But until then, we already did this. My bad. I'm Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>